We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, sunshine, and welcome to a special holiday edition of the State of the Union podcast. Moss, are you excited about this? Very excited. Are you in the holiday spirit? Very much so. Love this time of year. Yes, you look very festive today. Um, Okay, so what we did here is we thought about this incredible work that we have done over the year. And we are going to give you kind of a retrospective. We're going to go back and talk about some of the things that we have talked about over the year. And we're going to start out this podcast with something that we're going to call shoddy or nice. As you know, our job here is to give our opinions, to give our hot takes. In doing so, uh, you have to make predictions. Some of them pan out and some of them don't. Over the course of the year, I have made plenty of predictions, had plenty of hot takes. Some of them have been received better than others. I'm sure Mossy has uh, collected a bunch of them that were good and maybe some of them uh, that were bad. So let's take a look back and talk about some of the things that we thought were going to happen and whether they did happen or not. Because this is your chance to say, ha, I told you so. That happens a lot in my line of work. So all right, Mossy, give me some things here that we talked about over the uh, year. All right, we'll start with the negative ones that didn't pan out oh, so perfect. well. Oh, perfect. Were there any? Yes. Uh, when DC United signed uh, Wayne Rooney, you said that that signing didn't, quote, move the needle for you. Uh, and he ended <laughs> up having a, a pretty good campaign, I would say. So address that. Okay, so TMZ got me, uh, as they often do at, uh, at LAX, and they asked me about the signing of Wayne Rooney. Uh, at the time, and certainly in the uh, arrivals area of LAX, uh, wanting to get home, I try to give them what they want, which is something that's interesting. I don't know if it was interesting, but I did say that it didn't move the needle. That that has not changed for me in that I was curious but not excited in the way that, say, a Zlatan Ibrahimovic signing was. Now, did I envision Wayne Rooney having the type of impact that he had? No. I don't, I'll be honest. I'm not sure anybody did. So I was wrong in that it moved the needle for a lot of people, and it moved it in a way where he became so compelling that he and his D.C. United team were must-view. I did not anticipate that. I didn't think that that was going to happen, but it's a credit to the incredible player that he was. Did it ultimately move the needle? Yeah, it did. 
It was a good signing. It was money well spent. It was perfect timing from a DC United perspective. It is exactly what that club needed in opening up their stadium, in making themselves relevant again. And a lot of it is down to the foresight of the powers that be in terms of signing him, paying plenty of money, maybe too much money, but really, it probably wasn't too much money. I think it was money well spent. And the other part of it was you got yourself a very, very good player who adjusted to life on and off the field very, very quickly. So congratulations to Rooney, uh, proving many of us wrong in terms of the level of impact that you had. Next up, uh, you predicted Spain to win the Are we sure about this? Are we sure that I predicted Spain? As did I, incidentally. I didn't know they were going to fire their manager the day before <laughs> their first game. We have an out with Lopetegui, uh, right? Yes. <laughs> Mixed bag, though, because you did have France in the final. Yes. So, uh, But address the Spain uh, deal. So I did not think that they were going to have the tumultuous arrival and therefore have that infect everything that they did. Like, it's easy to blame the fact that they fired the coach on the eve of the World Cup. A coach who did incredible things, and they were, they were cooking. They weren't cooking to the 2010 level, but they were certainly saying Spain could win the World Cup. Wasn't me going out on a limb saying Iceland was going to win the World Cup. But... Being as wrong as myself and so many others were, that was an incredible surprise. They were one of the big disappointments of uh, the tournament this summer. And I don't think that anybody expected it. And it's not just all about firing the coach. Not a 2018 to remember for Julian Lopetegui. Uh, there, there was uh, <laughs> rough, there rough was some year. day in June where he woke up thinking he was going to lead Spain to the World Cup and then take over a Real Madrid team with Cristiano Ronaldo. And instead, he ended the year getting turned down by U.S. soccer for an interview. <laughs> But yes, you're right. I did predict uh, Spain in the final. Uh, next up, uh, this is a bad one. Uh, you were uh, quite bullish that Toronto FC was going to beat Chivas in the CCL final. In fact, you stared into that camera and were completely dismissive of Chivas. This was my American heart and soul. And when I say American, I mean Canadian. Just bleeding through the camera and, and at times clouding my vision. Uh, I did think that... And, and oh, who was I talking to the other day? I can't remember who it was, but... The utter failure of Toronto FC, and when I when I watch now the club World Cup uh, club World Cup going on, I think, God, Toronto, you let one slip away. You were a better team. Well, you weren't a better team, but I thought you were a better team, and I thought it was yours to lose. So much so that uh, I was dismissive. Uh, none of this stuff I'm apologizing for, by the way, <laughs> for being dismissive or for being wrong. If I if I had to apologize. For every single time I'm wrong about something that I say, or if I had to get down on my knees and beg for forgiveness from the masses every single time I was wrong, I would never stand up. And all I'd be doing is apologizing. So in no way am I apologizing. Am I admitting that I was wrong? Okay, fine. I was wrong. All right, let's turn to some of your, your good takes throughout the year. You predicted Some of them. Well, that means there's multiple ones. Good. Right. You predicted Atlanta United would win MLS Cup. Yes, I did. I did. Atlanta United, as we know, is the MLS Super Club uh, with what they have done on and off the field. I looked at it as a juggernaut. And really, when they lost out to the Red Bulls from Supporters Shield in the regular season, that for me sealed it. Because it, it, the, the soccer gods and the MLS soccer gods often... Uh, they do not smile, and they are not kind to the Supporters' Shield winners. And it's very, very difficult to parlay that in. And so I just knew immediately that they were not only going to 
win MLS Cup, but they were going to go through the New York Red Bulls uh, in order to do it after the New York Red Bulls uh, celebrated winning the uh, Supporters' Shield, which we know, while it's an achievement, doesn't compare. Nobody cares about that relative to winning MLS Cup. So, yes, I was right in uh, Atlanta United winning MLS Cup. Uh, next up, we, we began the year with VAR still being a very polarizing topic, but you've always been a strong proponent of it, and we end the year with just about everybody on board now, so I think you can claim victory on that one. I am claiming victory in that I saw around the corner. Not always, because if you go back and look at some of my comments, I was worried that VAR was going to take away the ability to have this dialogue and this debate and the gray area that I love so much about the game uh, and the subjective nature of the game, I thought it was going to be taken away. What ended up happening was we're still arguing about it. We're just arguing about it in terms of the ultimate decision that is made by VAR. And what really was interesting was this summer where a lot of people thought that it was going to be difficult in a World Cup scenario to have that VAR. And it went off without a hitch, so much so that it is used now as the template for how it should be done and one of the reasons why so many leagues are able to not just have it, but get it up and working so so quickly. You are not a real league. You are not a real tournament if you do not have VAR. That's how important VAR has become, and that's how successful VAR has become. And not to pat myself on the back, but I did a Mossy Makes the Case right after that Raheem Sterling play in the City Shakhtar game. I said not only was that going to prompt the Champions League to move up their timeline and introduce it in the knockout stage, but I felt like that was going to be a tipping point for the Premier League too. And a few days later, Premier League club signed off on VAR for next season. So there you go. Well done, Mossy. Well done. God, we're uh, awesome. Yeah. And finally, earlier in the year, you were asked, which midfielder would you most uh, want to build a team around? And you said Luka Modric. Yep. And after that, he went on to be the best player at the World Cup and the World Player of the Year, won the Ballon d'Or, the FIFA Award. So you can claim victory on that one as well. Yeah. I mean, all these things, we're not necessarily going out on a limb, except I think the Luka Modric, because you know, he plays for one of the great teams in the world. He's a recognized star. But... Having Luka Modric have that type of impact in a World Cup setting, uh, that was that was something. Not, yeah, it was unexpected, and I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he broke the whole Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Lionel Messi uh, type of pairing, and he is a phenomenal player. And to see to see him work both with the national team and with his uh, with his club team is is beautiful. And you can build around a player like that because he is a timekeeper. He'll score your goals. He'll be provider. His his work ethic um, is something that people don't necessarily talk about a lot. But he covers a lot of ground, and he and but in a smart way. And so, I mean, but keep in mind he's also on the downward trajectory. So I'm glad that he got his moment. It is well deserved not just for his body of work, but what he has ultimately become, especially over this, uh, this last year. And we saw it in, in, in full effect this summer in Russia. It remains to be seen how long we're going to see it, but at least we had this moment and he had that moment to shine. That is it. That is it. Moving on. All right, everybody's got a starting 11 in their mind. We're going to actually have our starting 11 for 2018. It's obviously very subjective. We're also going to have a manager. So you're starting 11 and your manager for 2018. Male, female, tall, short, fast, slow, doesn't really matter. It's, uh, it's up to us. We have come up with ours. Mossy, I'm going to let you start, and then I'm going to give you mine. Maybe there'll be some overlap here. 
All right, I'm going to borrow the formation that FIF Pro used for their uh, World Eleven, which was a 4-2-3-1, and it enables you to cheat a little bit and play Messi as the 10, and so you get kind of four out-and-out attacking players. Uh, you'll see when, when we get to it, but I'll start. I'll go back to front. Um, I really agonized over goalkeeper. I think David De Gea is the best goalkeeper in the world, but he had a terrible World Cup for Spain. I think the goalkeeper that's really elevated himself the most in the last 12 months is actually Alisson. Uh, I really want to put him in there, but I'm worried that I'm going to be accused of being a biased Brazilian. And so I'm going to throw you a little curveball here just because I feel so sorry for how this guy has been treated. I'm going to make Kaylor Navas my goalkeeper. Uh, helped Real Madrid win another Champions League title. Was phenomenal in those knockout stage a games. Great call. Great had, call. Had a good World Cup for Costa Rica. And, you know, whenever he's played this season, he's been fine. I mean, obviously he's lost his starting job to Courtois, who, by the way, is another great goalkeeper that merits consideration. But I'm going to go with Kaylor Navas. You're going to go with Kaylor Navas? Yes. That's a good call. That's so good. Right out of the shoot, you're so good. Damn you. Uh, all right. So I still want to go with David De Gea. Despite what he has not done when it comes to Spain, uh, and despite the, the struggles, but and and maybe I'm basing it off of a body of work, which isn't fair in what we are doing right now. I still, if I had a, a line of goalkeepers to pick, you know, your Neuers and uh, you know, as you mentioned, your Kaylor Navas and all of them. I still, if I have that first pick and I'm picking goalkeepers, I, I I'm still going with David Gea, so I'm going to go with him. Uh, up next, uh, the two center backs. Uh, I think Rafael Varane has to be there, won the Champions League with Real Madrid, won the World Cup with France. Uh, the other one I debated between uh, Virgil van Dijk and Koulibaly, the excellent center back from Napoli uh, and Senegal. Uh, I actually recently attended the Liverpool-Napoli match, van Dijk and Koulibaly. Both yeah, we heard all about one. it on a previous podcast. Yes. I'm going to go with Van Dijk, uh, even though the Netherlands didn't take part in the World Cup, but he's just been so good for Liverpool all year. He had this crazy price tag to have to live up to and he's done it he's got Kyle Martino going on TV and calling him the best player in the world and and he actually was very good for the Netherlands in the UEFA Nations League for whatever that's worth and is a big reason why they're in the semifinals so um, I think uh, I, I'm going to go with Van Dyke. so it's going to be Varane and Van Dyke as my two center backs you're going to go okay so if you had to choose between Sergio Ramos and Van Dyke, you're going to pick Van Dyke. Correct. I'm not. I'm going to pick Sergio Ramos, number one. Uh, and then, so we, we want two center backs? Is that what you're uh, yes. aiming for here? And then I'm going to go America. Going to go America. Becky Sovereign. All right? The captain. The leader. As uh, my, my money, the most important, well, maybe not the most important, but certainly she's going to be one of the most important players this next uh, summer with the U.S. Uh, women's national team in France for the World Cup. Uh, let me get this out of the way. My team is all men. I didn't realize you could mix, but um, How dare but you you, you do How whatever dare you. you do you. I do you. Um, That's right. Okay, my fullbacks. Right back, I went with Kimmich, who um, even though Germany's World Cup was a disaster, I think he's clearly now the best right back in the world. Has established himself as even that. with this horrendous mustache that he's got going <laughs> right now. All right. And then left back was, was tough. Again, I thought about Marcelo, but I uh, wasn't happy with his World Cup at all, and I don't think he's had a great half season with uh, Real Madrid. So I'm going to stay in Spain and go with Jordi Alba. I think he's now the best left back in the world. Give me some more uh, outside backs here to choose from because I, I struggled with this. Right back, you could go uh, Danny Carvajal. No, I'm not going Danny Carvajal. You could Hell go no. old school Danny Alves. That, that's who the FIFA pro uh, 
people put in their best selection, which I compared to Derek Jeter winning gold gloves. I mean, talk about just getting a nod based on reputation. You don't think he deserves to no, be even in no, the conversation. No. Well, I, I know you're a big Marcelo fan. I think I, you I, could I, go with him. No, I, I, I just didn't know if you were going to name anybody different. It's Do we do we have a dearth of outside backs when, or elite super type of outside backs when it comes to our game? Yeah, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, left back, you've got Alaba, Marcelo, Jordi Alba. Yeah, Andy Robertson was a guy that's really growing in reputation. Everybody. Uh, who was the, uh, the, the, the French right back that, uh, that played? Uh, that Pavard. Right? Pavard. Yeah, you could go with him. Uh, it's, speaking of France at left back, I really like Lucas Hernandez. I thought he had a very good World Cup. So uh, those are the guys. I'll go with Pavard. At right back and Marcelo at left yeah. back. Yeah. No, no women. You want to throw into either of those? I spots? got. Listen, you know, you, you you do your sexist thing over there, all right, <laughs> and I'll do my uh, you know thing over here, all right. All right. So my two midfielders. Not much uh, defending going on here, but what the heck? It's a it's a fantasy team. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Luca Modric and Kevin De Bruyne. I thought long and hard about Tony Cruz, who obviously great for Real Madrid. He was fantastic in the Champions League final against Liverpool. And also, even though Germany got knocked out in the group stage, he provided us one of the best moments of the World Cup, that free kick against Sweden in the last kick of the game. But still, I think De Bruyne, even though he's been injured the last few months, what he did for Man City the first half of the season, I thought he had a very good World Cup for Belgium. And obviously, Luka Modric goes without saying. So I'm going to go with those two. I do have Luka Modric. How many more? Wait, hold on. I, I want to make sure I don't lose track here. How many more do we have? Well... Based on how I did the formation, we have four after this that are going to be all attacking players. So, right, that's so you need five is what you need from me then. Uh, yeah, Modric, another midfielder. And if you want to abide by my formation. I'm not abiding ahead. by any formation. Okay. Hell no. We're going, we're going full speed ahead. All right. Okay. There's no defending on my team. Okay. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm going to go. Okay. So I will, I will go Luka Modric. So that's one, that's one right. that overlaps. What right. else do you have? Uh, De Bruyne is my other midfielder. Yeah, I don't have De Bruyne. So who's your other? I don't have any more. I'm gonna okay. You know what? I'm gonna put Griezmann in my midfield alongside Modric. Yeah, why not? Boy, that's uh, wow. Why, um, why can't I do that? That's stretching a little bit. I mean, it's got to be somewhat plausible. I mean, are you gonna put Ronaldo in goal? Like, I mean, why not? you gotta. <laughs> I, I get to. Do, you're you're cha- the rules. I can do whatever the hell I want, Mossy. All right, fair enough. All right. I'm just right. giving you 11 players. Right. If I wanted to have all attacking players, I have all attacking players. All right. Just so we... we, we... You, don't think that, you don't think that Griezmann can play midfield. <laughs> all right. So I'm just going to rattle off my front four. All right. So we don't ahead. have to go through each All right. Play. Go ahead. Fine. All right. All right. So I have Messi as my number 10 playing behind Cristiano Ronaldo. And then I have Mo Salah and Kylian Mbappe out wide. Uh, I thought long and hard. Griezmann and Hazard were the two tough cuts there. But uh, I'm happy with my front four. That's who I'm going with. All right, my front four. So you need my front four now, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Here, here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm locking it in here. That's the, that right. was me locking it in on my computer here. All right. Mbappe. Joseph Martinez from okay. Atlanta United. Okay. Alex Morgan from the U.S. Women's National Team. Okay. And Ballon d'Or winner, Ada Hegerberg. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Very good. Come at me now, all right? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of firepower up top, okay? We may, we may not have any you know, shutouts or clean sheets, whatever you want to call them, but we're going to score a bunch of goals. We are going to entertain. We are a team that you are going to want to pay money to see, right? Absolutely. No, nah, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. All right. Well, anyway, if you're listening out there, 
Let us know what you think about our ridiculous 11s that we have just laid out or whatever 11s that you have out there. Or if you disagree with the way that we laid them out and you want to change the rules and you can only have three defenders and all that kind of stuff. This, By the way, this 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 argument happens every single time there's a best 11. It's what, what's, what's the formation? How many players should play? And this guy really plays here, but he's a false nine here and all that kind of stuff. Who cares? Who cares? Give me 11 players. Give me your best 11 players. I would actually like to see a team completely compiled of attacking striker type of types put into an 11 and see how they actually played the game. It would be interesting to see you know, you're having a striker playing right back. It's not as if they don't know how to play the game. It might be, it might, look, whew, blowing your mind here. I know, I know you're going to have to pull over, pull your car over right now. This is it. This is it. This is the future that you're listening to right now. You think, you think Pep's something? Oh, oh, wait till the next, the, the next thing is just getting all attacking players. Well, actually speaking of, we're supposed to pick a manager as well, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'll go with Pep as my manager. You're going to go with Pep? Yes. And I'm going to go with Klopp. There you go. And I'm going to, why are you going with Pep? Because romantic, uh, and no, nobody is better at coaching great talent, uh, and, and that's yeah. quite the team I've assembled, so I think Pep would get, get them to even go beyond what you would think just based on the talent. Jurgen Klopp has changed the way I think about Liverpool, and for that there is value, and he deserves incredible credit, in that I actually think about Liverpool now. And as I mentioned, I think on a previous podcast, I believe that when all is said and done, that Manchester City is a better team than Liverpool. However, on a one-off game, when Liverpool's got all guns blazing, they are fun to watch. As I said, they have changed the way I look at that club, how they are relevant to me. <sighs> yeah, you're in Klopp. I, I, I would hire that guy. Uh, I did consider Greg Berhalter, but I'm gonna go with you, Pep instead. You're, you're so mean. This is the this is the holiday season. You should be, you know, you should be nice. You should be looking and at the at the bright side and the good side and the positive side of everything. And yet you come out with something like that. Uh, all right. So that has been our starting eleven manager of the year. Anything else to add uh, on your team before we go? Uh, no. No. All right. Moving on. All right, we got a little segment here called Buyer's Remorse. We know that in this day and age, our game, it's all about who you buy, who you sell, the ridiculous amounts of money that is paid for talent out there, uh, the transfer market, be it the summer transfer market or the January transfer market, are times when everybody are glued to their information device, whatever that may be, to find out who's going where and what. Sometimes it works out. And sometimes it doesn't. And so in this segment, Buyer's Remorse, we're going to look at 10 of the biggest summer transfers and we're going to decide whether uh, the teams, whether or not the teams that bought these players uh, are experiencing buyer's remorse in that they got somebody, they paid a lot of money, and he or she has not worked out. All right. So I'm going to read off these uh, these 10 here and we're going to react, right? Yeah. Okay. So... Should we start at 10 and go down to 1 or 1 and go down to 10? All right, we'll start at 10 Everyone. and we'll go down to 1. Sure. All right. Uh, oh, great. Here comes a Brazilian. What a surprise. Uh, what are we calling him? Fredji? No, you can go with Fred. <laughs> I only say that because when we were down in Brazil, uh, we, we, when the, a different Fred, because evidently that is a very popular name down there, they had it two syllables pronounced Fredji. We're going to call him Fred, central midfielder, going from Shakhtar 
to Manchester United at the age of 25 for 59 million euros, which is what in, uh, in real money? What are we talking about here? Does it, can anybody figure that out? 60-something right. million dollars. How much? 60-something. 60-something million dollars for 25-year-old Fred. Uh, how's that worked out, Mossy? Uh, this one has been an unequivocal disaster. Um, <laughs> Mourinho checked out on this guy just a couple of weeks into the season, and he is in the wilderness now. He's lost his spot in the Brazil team as a result. This was a guy that uh, in January was being linked with Manchester City. Pep supposedly really wanted him. The deal didn't get done then because Shakhtar still wanted him for the Champions League uh, knockout stage. And so they put it off till the summer. And then all of a sudden, United swooped in and got him, I think, only because they knew City wanted him. And so this is a case of, you know, where a player made a bad decision here going to United and Mourinho, and it's completely destroyed the momentum of his you, career. You I mean, think City really wanted him? Or Pep's in the back going, Did you see what Jose just did? Oh, God. Inflate his value publicly and let somebody else come in and take him? So this one I would give an F if you're assigning it. An F. Yes. And can you attribute it to anything in particular? He's played in cold weather. I don't think he's that good, to be honest. Okay, there we go. And your expert analysis? Yeah, you know, it's funny. He was on the Brazil World Cup squad, didn't play a minute, and now I find out he was injured the whole tournament. And so why we didn't cut him and bring in somebody else for that spot is beyond me. But All right, well, the Brazilians just keep on coming in terms of the top 10. He was the number 10 highest transfer fee. Number 9, Vinicius Jr. Am I pronouncing that even close to correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. He is, once again, a Brazilian, 18 years old. So you're looking at potential, all right? So don't, you know, initial response, who knows? From Flamengo to Real Madrid for 61 million euros. Yes? No? Well, you know, we've talked about this on the pod this year. This is part of this new Real Madrid transfer strategy where they're they're trying to get him young and they're convinced that in a few years this kid's going to be worth like $200 million. So we'll have to wait and see if that strategy pays off. The interesting thing is when they signed him, there was no thought he was going to be a contributor this season. But uh, the way things were worked, worked out, <laughs> well, yeah, the fact that they didn't make any, any big signings in the summer and Florentino Perez could sense the apathy of the fans going into the season. So all of a sudden, uh, he wanted this kid to play, and Lopetegui wasn't having it. And one of the reasons Lopetegui fell out of favor there was because he refused to play this kid. So he actually became kind of an important uh, part of the narrative about this season, even without being much of a contributor. So, uh, But no, I mean, he's, he hasn't added much of anything yet. And so, I mean, this is the jury is completely still out on this. So C minus? Yeah, I mean, if we're judging it for this season, it's, yeah, something like that. But who knows? We could be sitting here two years from now, and he's the next Neymar, and then we think it was a great deal to get him this young. I don't think so. I'm not that big a fan of his, but uh, we'll see. All right. How dare you? He has not shown anything that would even come close to making us believe that he is the next Neymar. I did have a couple of nice dives this season, so there's a similarity there. (laughs) Mossy coming in. All right, all right, beautiful. All right, Uh, here comes more Brazilians. Here we go. Alisson. The goalkeeper moving from Roma to Liverpool for what has to be said at this point is a bargain. 62.5 million euros. It's interesting because, boy, in in just a few days, he experienced the highs and lows. Um, I I was, I don't know if you're aware, I was at the Anfield for the Liverpool-Napoli Champions League game. And he (laughs) made an incredible save on Milik in stoppage time to secure qualification for Liverpool and the fans all chanted his name leaving that stadium that night all anybody wanted to talk about was how great Alisson is and how he's better than De Gea and he's the best goalkeeper in the
the world, and this was a bargain, and Jurgen Klopp joked after the game, if I knew how good he was, I would have paid double for him. And then what happens a few days later, against United in De Gea, he commits a terrible howler, didn't cost him, they still won the game. But so that's sort of put the brakes on all the hoopla. But, but no, I think, listen, I actually did a Mossy Makes the Case this year, and, and frankly, we could lump Alisson in with Kepa, who's all the way up at number three, arguing that goalkeepers have become overvalued and that there's really not that big a difference between having Alisson and having like the 12th best goalkeeper in the world in terms of how Liverpool would fare this season, and the 12th best goalkeeper in the world would cost you like a fraction of the price that Alisson did. You were more of the opinion, no, it is worth, worth it to spend big for that top goalkeeper that you know is going to make that big save. Yep. And I think in Alisson's case, you've generally been proven right here. He's made uh, a few like make-or-break saves that have yep. really impacted Liverpool's first half of the season. And, and if it is going to come down to the wire between Liverpool and City, those saves and those crucial points, a point here, three points there, uh, are going to become so important. And, and I know we talk about David De Gea and how... What would Manchester, as horrible as Manchester United has been, what would they have been over the last few years if they didn't have David De Gea? So I think money well spent. I would give that a A minus B plus. That sound fair? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Moving on. Oh God, more goalkeepers. Here we go. There. All right. Courtois, Thibaut Courtois, the Belgian, moving from Chelsea to Real Madrid. Now. Explain this to me because it says the market value is 65 million euros, but he was sold for 35 million euros. Yeah, his contract was running down, and that's why uh, Real Madrid were able to get him for something of a bargain, especially compared to Alisson and Kepa. And that was largely the justification for it. It was too good a deal to pass up. The issue is, as we talked about, Real Madrid weren't keen on spending too much money this past summer because they've got this stadium renovation. And, and so a lot of people feel like whatever money they were going to spend should have been spent on an attacking player to replace Cristiano Ronaldo. And sure enough, they're having all sorts of problems scoring goals. And meanwhile, they spent it on Courtois when they already had Kaylor Navas. So, you know, it's nothing against Courtois. He's an excellent goalkeeper. He's played well. But people think that was kind of a redundant and, and kind of a poor use of, of their resources, and I tend to agree. So it's, it's a weird grade to give because he's played well, but I think the idea of signing him was ridiculous. Right. I mean, well, it goes back to your whole theory about goalkeepers and that Kaylor Navas, who, I mean, has anybody taken more shots, <laughs> not little shots, but maybe shots, but uh, than him and had more disrespect as to the goalkeeper he is, but... Your theory is you got a serviceable goalkeeper that has brought you championships, brought you titles. Isn't we, isn't we know the best goalkeeper in the world? Why why do this? So how does that play into the grade that you give him ultimately, Courtois? Well, his performances have been good, so I'll give him like a B, B plus. Yeah, yeah one that's, thing that's... for Kaylor Navas, he's been benched, he's depressed, but the one thing he can hang his hat on is he was included in David Mossy's Team of the Year on the State <laughs> of the Union podcast. So. Well, I'm sure once he finds out, yes. uh, a, a whole world and a beautiful, bright world will open up to him. All right, moving on. Uh, number six is Nabi Keita. All right, the central midfielder going from Leipzig to Liverpool at 23 years old. Now, this this deal was done well ahead of time, so we all knew this was happening. It gave us this sense of anticipation. He's coming. Keita's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Well, he came. Uh, he saw. Has he conquered yet? I, I would say no. Not even close. But 60 million uh, euros ultimately was the uh, price. I am a massive fan of his, and I have to say I'm a little bit surprised. There are 
there are two types of Klopp signings, the ones that need like several months of betting in and the ones that can step in right away and be impact players. I thought Nabi Keita for sure was going to be the second kind, and we'd be talking about him right now as like the signing of the season and, and this big-time star for Liverpool. That hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen the best of him, but he's shown enough flashes that uh, I, mean, I, like, I was there and everybody's still super high on him and thinks he's going to be like a big difference maker the second half of the season. So I don't think the vibe is negative there, but it's just, hmm, I'm, we're surprised that it's taking this long but I think he will come good before the end of the season. So Yeah, I, I think a lot of us were expecting him to have a much more immediate and dramatic impact than uh, than he has. And he actually started out the season kind of on fire. And I said, oh, my goodness, he's he's living up to, to billing. Okay, so so solid B then, right? Yep, yep. Uh, okay, uh, now we move on to Riyad Mahrez, who went from Leicester, 27 years old, Leicester to Man City for 67.8 million euros. I look at this as... A luxury signing. Uh, just once again, stacking the deck, incredible depth. You knew exactly what type of player he was, but as good as he was at Leicester and as, as good as he is, you knew that he wasn't going to play every single game. He, he knew he wasn't going to play every single game. He's not the star of the team, but he's a nice piece to have. Yeah, I agree. This was this was kind of overkill. Uh, nobody's going to look at Man City this season and say that Riyad Mahrez is sort of a make-or-break player. Uh, but he's played well, save for Sky in that penalty at Anfield against Liverpool that Gabriel Jesus should have taken. He, he's played uh, very well overall, and having him has enabled him to play Bernardo Silva in the midfield where he's flourished. So, uh, yeah, definitely an overall positive grade here. I think Mahrez has slotted in very nicely into that team. All right, number four at 23 years old, uh, going from Monaco to Atletico Madrid, Thomas Lamar, the uh, left winger there, for 70 million euros. Not as big an impact as I expected. He started off the season great. He was very good in that UEFA Super Cup where Atletico beat Real Madrid. But his influence has kind of faded. And I'll tell you, I'm starting to have some issues with Simeone because it's one thing to be bullish and say, look, I'm going to play the way I want to play. But he's actually made an effort to be expansive and spent a lot of money on players like this. And then he just doesn't know how to use them and he ends up having to revert back to his old ways. So I think Lamar is kind of the symbol of that. And so I'm actually a little disappointed he hasn't been a bigger factor on that team. Uh, okay, so what, uh, a, a B-minus? Yeah, something like that. All right, so now we're back to the goalkeepers again. Look, regardless of your thoughts on goalkeepers, obviously the, the best teams and the best coaches in the world believe that they are worth the money and they are going to go out and spend the money. And they spent a boatload on Kepa, all right? The uh, Spanish uh, goalkeeper coming from Atletico Madrid, right? Atletico Bilbao. Uh, Bilbao, excuse me, yeah. to Chelsea for 80 million euro. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this one to me, I think, actually reinforces my Mossy makes the case. Kepa is a fine goalkeeper, but is he such a difference maker? I mean, I guess we could give Alex Dow the mic and he could talk. Our producer is a big Chelsea fan. But I don't. I haven't gotten the sense that he's made these unbelievable, like, make-or-break saves that would justify this sort of price tag. I feel like if you swapped him out for, like, like I said, the 12th best goalkeeper in the world, which is, frankly, if you ranked him more or less might, where he might come in, uh, I, I don't think there would be uh, that big a difference in Chelsea's right, What if you swapped him out for check? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but for instance, Leno, who's starting for Arsenal, I okay, think you know, they got right, him for a fraction right. of the price. And he's, um, Alex, so, what do you give him over there? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up? Really? You like him. You think he's going to be worth all those millions? Well, look, I mean, you can the, – the, I love the, the thing where they do at the end of the year where they uh, – it's easily – it's much easier done for goalkeepers where they, they look at all the great saves that kept you in the game or got you a point here, and then they divide it by the amount of money that they spent. 
uh, he's going to have to make some big saves uh, and and keep them in the running. But check you mentioned was the goalkeeper in 2012 when Chelsea fluked their way to the. That's Champions true. League. Exactly. We've uh, we've uh, you know yeah over the last few podcasts we've talked about uh, David Mossy's incredibly flaming hot take that Chelsea fluked their way into winning Champions League. All right. Ah, oh, goodness. All right. So you know him, you love him, or you don't love him. Number two, Cristiano Ronaldo from Real Madrid at the age of 33 from Real Madrid to Juventus. 117 million euro. I'm going to give this one already an A. Uh, worth every penny for what he has done on the field. Worth every penny for the relevancy that he has brought to Syria. Ah, and worth everything in terms of what I think is going to be a team that is going to be difficult to beat and challenge for Champions League, which is everything that they wanted when they signed him, right? Absolutely. I agree 100%. I actually think he's playing better this season than he did in his last couple of years at Real Madrid, where he was sort of going the way of becoming just a goal scorer, less mm-hmm. involved in the game. But he's recognized with Juventus he can't afford to do that. He's not going to get quite the same service. So he's involved himself more. He looks sprier than he's, he has for years. He's beating the Fenners. He's creating a lot on his own. And he has the goals and assists to boot. So, uh, yeah, he has been terrific. And for a, amazingly enough, in this market, 100 million euros. <laughs> Cristiano right. Ronaldo feels right. like an incredible bargain. So, uh, he's, fantastic he's all, signing. You mentioned that he's playing in a different way. He's also playing on a team that it, it's not this explosive team that just scores a boatload right. of goals. So he's not going to score a ridiculous amount of goals. His team's not going to score. And that changes the way that you play. And, you know, I know it's a little tropey and stuff like that, but the the defensive belief and pride that Italian teams, and, and including Juventus, take in the way that they go out and defend, I think he's had to adjust his game. And I think he, I think he's really embraced the fact that, you know, we're, we're going to win one nothing a lot of times. And it's enough. And yes, I want to get that goal, but there's a value and something to be very proud of in that one nothing win. So it's fun to see him once again go through this this change, this metamorphosis that he's so good at doing. Different country, different team, yet same results in terms of being successful. Uh, all right, we've come to number one, Mossy. And it can only be one person. 19 years old. Coming in from Monaco to PSG. Kylian Mbappe, the winger, for 130 million euro. Okay, well, first off, I have a major issue with this. Uh, PSG acquired Mbappe in the summer of 2017, and to skirt financial fair play rules, they had to structure it as a one-year loan with an obligation to buy the following summer. So that's why Transfer Mercat technically puts him as a summer 2018 purchase, but the spirit of this whole segment is players that were acquired by their teams in the summer of 2018. So for Alex Dow to just blindly print out this sheet and not put any thought into it and not think, maybe I should include the number 11 too in case Mossy doesn't uh, <laughs> agree with Mbappe being included in this. I mean, I think it's just it's okay, kind so of a testament to you know, how this year has gone on the podcast. And I, I could be wrong here, but I think you've just called PSG cheaters. Right. Uh, you've just called Alex Dow incompetent. Yeah, um, that one definitely. That, that definitely. All right. For the sake of our argument, let's just let's just look at this. How how is how would you grade Kylian Mbappe's move to PSG? Uh, I've said on this podcast, I think he's the next Pele. I haven't been this excited about a young player at this age since the Brazilian Ronaldo back in his Barcelona and first season with Inter. Uh, I love him. The only thing I will say is. 
boy, I thought there'd be a bigger issue with him and Neymar in terms of whose team it is. And if you watch PSG play, it is still Neymar's team. He takes all the penalties, all mm-hmm. the corners, all the free kicks. Everything runs through him. So that's kind of interesting. So that that's maybe keeping Mbappe from from totally reaching that level of stardom. I think he could have by now. The fact that he's having to defer to Neymar. But no, I'm I'm enamored of him. I, I think no, no, he's no, no. Well, just well, you incredible. You know what's keeping him from being on that elite level is he's not playing for one of the best teams in the world. And notwithstanding that your Pele comparison, and I know Pele, he played at a different time. But for me right now, uh, he's, he's been great. And it's, it's, an, it's an A for what it means now and for what it means going forward. However, if he is what everybody believes he is, if PSG isn't going to be that team, then I want to I see him on that team. And so do you think that he, do you think he has moves in his future here? Absolutely, a uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Absolutely, okay. yeah. It's funny. A, a French journalist had a, had a great uh, quote when Real Madrid was sniffing around for Mbappe this summer. Uh, he said, "We'd rather sell you the Eiffel Tower." That's how big Mbappe is in Paris right now and how much uh, the fans love him. So it's going to be tough to prime away from there. But I think a couple more years, you know, they don't win the Champions League. He, he might look at it and say, yeah, I need to go to a Real Madrid, Barcelona, to go to the next level. Uh, you know, it's funny. I mentioned Pele. Pele only says nice things about Mbappe, which tells me he's not threatened by him yet. Because, you know, if Pele got, <laughs> felt like in any way that people were putting Mbappe a, a, above him, he would right. start taking shots at him like he does Messi. So, oh, yeah. uh, so that, right. that's coming at some point. That is coming. <laughs> that is coming. All right. Well, anyway, that's the uh, the top 10 transfers uh, with a caveat there, an asterisk, uh, a mossy asterisk there on Kylian Mbappe in our buyer's remorse segment. They, look, they can't all work out. We know it's not an exact science, but the amount of money that is spent and the return that you get uh, oftentimes don't match up. Or if you do it right, uh, they do match up. Or if you do it really right, uh, you get even more value than what you paid. Some people did, some people didn't. And the story is not yet fully written because many of these players that we've just talked about here can have resurgence or they can have regressions given who they are and going forward. We will look forward to see uh, how all these players pan out going forward. All right, moving on. All right, it's time to wrap things up and we will wrap it up uh, for this special pod talking about our favorite moments from 2018. Uh, Whether it's on or off the pod, so much has happened on the field, off the field. We've talked about so many different things, players and stories and scores and all sorts of different things. Masi, I'll let you start. What are some of the things that come to mind when you think back on 2018? Well, obviously getting to cover a men's World Cup in Russia was the experience of a lifetime. And I'll actually combine that with this podcast because getting to do the podcast from there was one of the cool elements of it. Uh, One of the podcasts I did from Gorky Park. I was enjoying a day off and and, uh, then I called in. And uh, so, I mean, that was just uh, kind of a surreal experience to be sitting around the phone and chatting with you guys and talking about the World Cup from from Moscow. So, yeah, no, I'd I have to go with that above anything else. Yeah, I, I am incredibly privileged and fortunate to be able to uh, do something that I love and to make a living doing it. Many, many people, matter of fact, most of the people in the world don't get that. And that I have been so lucky to and fortunate to be at so many different World Cups, men's and women's. And each one is different and unique. And this summer being in Russia, and we talked about how I grew up having this picture of Russia and going to it for the first time in the context of a World Cup uh, was so amazing. And to each and every day have that Groundhog Day going to Red Square and being in the shadow of the Kremlin was really an incredible experience 
above and beyond the actual soccer part, which is always great and twists and turns, but uh, it's something that I'll, uh, I'll never forget, not just because of being in Russia, but being in Russia with the people. Uh, that include uh, you and so many others that worked so hard on making it uh, something big. So an obvious one, but one that is rightfully celebrated and pointed to is uh, is the World Cup. And let me just say uh, on this podcast, this will be my last comment. We lost uh, one of our producers, Francis Silva, who made just a dreadful career move leaving Fox Sports. Right, she didn't go die, to some, okay? I mean, you... you. Uh, <laughs> Left Fox Sports to go to some dinky website, Copa or something, <laughs> and um, I was I was very concerned about uh, this podcast. We brought in this uh, kid, Luis Aguilar, who you meet him, and he's very unimpressive at first. But I have to say, he's done a phenomenal job, and we haven't missed a beat. It's been like Liverpool losing Coutinho and 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 improbably uh, being just as good or arguably even better. So uh, I'm very proud of that that we we're able to keep steering this so, ship. All right, so and, you're, uh, you're taking more of a uh, of a clop approach to how you uh, how you react to uh, talent. I'm going to take more of a Mourinho approach and say he hasn't done anything yet, okay? He, 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 is, he is okay, but he still has a ways to go, all right, before he deserves that type of praise. So uh, it's, it's the balance. It's the yin and the yang. Good cop, bad cop here, all right? Don't tell him. Go ahead. Uh, no, that's it. So that's I, it? I feel very you good about— anything else from 2018? That's it? Just the World Cup? Yeah. Oh uh, uh, so I feel very good about where we're at with this podcast ending 2018. I look forward to uh, 2019 very much so and, uh, and possibly doing it from Paris next summer. Who knows? Yes. Uh, so, okay. So when I look back at 2018, the things that come to mind are, uh, number one, uh, we started the year off with this crazy election uh, that informed so much of what we talked about because... Uh, and I'm talking about the election for president of uh, the United States Soccer Federation, a, a sea change, if you will, with Carlos Cordero coming in and Sunil Gulati, uh, who had been there for so many years and had his hands in absolutely everything and, and his fingerprints were all over everything that we did in a, in a good way. Um, there are those that we are argue in a bad way, but I believe in a good way. And to have this seminal moment and this change and to watch the the politics of American soccer, for me... I am a political junkie just in general, but when it comes to political, uh, the politics that are played in soccer, it was fascinating to watch day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out as it led up to the election because it brought out the best and the worst, what I love and what I hate about the American soccer community. And it, and it exposed at times a dark and sad underbelly that exists. And, and that's, while it was negative in that sense, it was positive in that it was exposed and we talked about things that maybe we just were scared to talk about or haven't talked about uh, before because we didn't know about them. And that was good. It churned up so many different things. We, we fought amongst ourselves. It got ugly at different times. Everybody going in different directions. Everybody with an opinion. Even much more mainstream type of media recognizing it because it comes under this whole dark cloud of not making the World Cup last summer. All of that, all of that to me was wonderful. I ate it up, and I and I loved it. Uh, even when it was stuff that I disagreed with, or or stuff that I just thought was beyond the pale, it was still stuff that I wanted to to talk about. So that was one thing that came to mind. Number two was uh, uh, the situation in in Columbus, the Save the Crew uh, thing that we talked about a lot on the podcast uh, in different ways, and and once again the way that. I came about it and the way I saw it from 
outside, certainly, of Columbus and the way that others that were inside or others that were outside that were very, very different in the way that they saw it. Ultimately, I think it brought out a lot of good in what exists in American soccer, and it exposed us to to so many different people and ways that we think about our game, what our team means to us, what our league means to us, uh, whatever league that ultimately is, uh, what is a business, what isn't a business, uh, ownership, uh, the definition of what a fan is, the definition of what passion is and true, authentic passion, real supporters versus fake supporters, all of the different, you know, American snobbery, Euro snobbery, all those different things were kind of manifested in the way that the whole Save the Crew, Columbus Crew situation moving to Austin played out. And once again, it was just so interesting to me to see how it all played out. And then finally, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll end it with this, echoing your comments, uh, we, uh, we are very fortunate to be able to do this. And this is only the result of a lot of hard work of people behind the scenes, uh, ultimately making us uh, look good. And we have a wonderful staff that helps us put this on week in and week out. It is a work in progress. We know that uh, there are things that need to be tweaked going forward, but we also look forward in 2019 uh, to do some, uh, some different things. But this weekly opportunity to babble at times and to express different things and to go into more detail than certainly I have when I'm on for 13 second sound bites here or there is really, I think, good. I appreciate it. I, I know that Mossy appreciates. I know we all appreciate the fact that people are tuning in and, and listening to this um, because otherwise it's just us screaming and yelling into microphones and nobody hearing it. So for me, this has been a very, very good year, um, but I also... I'm always looking forward, and I'm looking forward to doing things bigger and better in uh, in 2019. Anything else, Mossy? No, I just want to say I've been very hard on Alex Dowd uh, throughout this whole year. Uh, that's it. That was just an observation. That's it. <laughs> that's not that's not going to change in 2019 no, or anything no, like no. that. Uh, no, uh, that that shouldn't change. Uh, he does uh, he does an adequate job uh, in that we get on every week with yeah. not little but but minimal. Uh, type of uh, problems, right? That's the best we can possibly say about him. Yep. All right, Alex. All right, listen, uh, that has been uh, a special holiday edition of the State of the Union podcast. I hope wherever you uh, and your family and friends are that you're having a wonderful holiday, that it's safe, that it is healthy, that it is happy, that you're getting everything that you uh, that you want, that you are with family and friends, because as we talk about this game that we love, that we have a passion for, we recognize that it is just a game, uh, but it is a beautiful game and one that we will always hold near and dear to us. All right. Thank you so much. We will see you in 2019.